Josie DeVidio is a woman with too much time on her hands and a curiosity to explore the human experience with a passion to bring entertaining and informative content to your ears. Real talk, real people. This is Josieology. Hey, friends, welcome back to the Josieology podcast. I am your host, Josie DeVidio. I am a dentist, a podcaster, and a busy woman. My guest today is Kezia Thomas. She is a weight loss and emotional eating coach who shows busy women how to lose weight and keep it off so that they can feel confident to stand up and be fully visible. Kezia believes in a non-diet, sustainable approach that allows for a healthy relationship with food without saying goodbye to wine, chocolate, or pizza, which, you know, are my favorite three things. Although for me, it would be gluten-free pizza. But (laughs) I'm very excited to talk to you today, Kezia, because as I mentioned, I am a busy woman. I love all three things, wine, chocolate, and pizza. And I know that there are a lot of women my age now um, in the middle age zone who are having issues um, with weight and feeling confident in their new middle aged bodies. So I want to dive into that today. But before we get into that, I know that you have a really interesting story um, about your own journey with healthy eating. So welcome, Kezia. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Tell me a little bit about what led you to become not just a weight loss coach, but I like that you are also an emotional eating coach. Can you explain to us what that means and what led you to be this kind of specific coach? Yeah, I mean, the majority of of us put on weight because we overeat. And usually the reason we're overeating is because we're using food to compensate for things that we're missing in our lives. And that's kind of what emotional eating is. It's when we have feelings that we don't necessarily want to deal with, or that we feel we haven't got time to deal with, or we can't deal with. And food is just a quick fix. It's super convenient. It's pretty much available everywhere. And it's just become a very easy way for us to to manage with, as you said, when you've got a busy life and you're kind of um, running running all over the place, you're possibly a bit stressed, that kind of thing. It's an easy way to cope rather than dealing with what's actually going on. That is so true that we use food to mask emotions. We don't even think about it. I mean, sometimes I find myself, you know, eating chips. I'm not even hungry, but the chips <laughs> for some reason taste good. So I'm just going to keep eating them. But, you know, it's it's interesting that we have kind of made that exchange. And like you said, food is available everywhere. It's very easy to get to. And so that's why a lot of people struggle with weight. In addition, you know, obviously in our middle age, we have other things that are changing hormonally and whatnot and, you know, with our metabolism. but it's not like, you know, we've been healthy all of our lives and all of a sudden there's a problem. This is something that comes on over a period of time. So tell me about your story. When did it all start for you? What I can remember is I started kind of, I suppose, emotionally eating when I was probably about 11 or 12. So I was kind of struggling a bit at school. You know, things were just a bit, it's that awkward time, isn't it, where things are sort of changing and you're not quite sure of yourself. And um, I started eating a lot of chocolate. And then the more I ate, the more I started craving it. Um, And that was kind of where it started for me. And the idea of being overweight really scared me because 
I suppose, again, at that age, I'd been exposed to lots of sort of cartoons and stories and all the sort of media that I saw. It was basically around if you were pretty and skinny, then you would be loved and you would be accepted and you would be successful. And if you were fat or, or ugly, then you were possibly even evil. But it wasn't a good, it wasn't a good thing, basically. And that was kind of my opinion of the world. That was kind of how I, how I, how I saw things. And I think as well, what I kind of realized that the longer it went on was it was an area of my life that I could really control. So when I managed my weight, I felt like I'd achieved something. I felt like if I could kind of keep myself skinny, then I was gaining acceptance and I was um, improving my self-worth. I felt really powerful when I lost weight. I'm really confident when I lost weight. And it kind of gave me a buzz, which is almost, again, one of the reasons I kept doing it. And it was almost this idea that actually I can eat, you know, I can eat chocolate and it's okay because I can manage it. And to start off with, when I was at school, I would kind of starve myself so I wouldn't eat much. And then when I would go home, I would overeat and I'd binge. But my parents didn't see it as a problem. They kind of, they were just like, it's, you've got a healthy appetite and that's a good thing. But eventually uh, the school called my parents and they were like, she's not eating properly at school and we're quite worried about it. So they devised this scheme where I would go and sit with a school nurse and eat my lunch with her so that it was supervised. And that was really when things escalated for me because I didn't like the fact that I was being supervised because it meant that I couldn't control things the way I wanted to. So I had to get creative. And I kind of, I suppose at that age, you can't really so much control what you're eating because other people are kind of fairly responsible for your food, but I could control when I was eating. And one of the things I did was I used to, used to eat the food um, with the school nurse and then I'd go and throw up in the toilets. It was almost a kind of act of rebellion, I suppose. Right. Like you can't force me to eat this. Right. But then I would still go home and binge, which was kind of, I suppose, the weird thing. And another thing I did, because I kind of, again, sort of um, young girl, sort of finding out about diet culture and, and you know, what would, what would work to keep weight down. Um, one of the things I found out was that if you exercised, you actually burnt off these calories. And I kind of really hung on to this to a point where I was like, okay, so this is great because I can eat whatever I want as long as I run around like a maniac afterwards. Right. And so again, I kind of used exercise to keep things in control. But it meant that my weight was really up and down all the time. It meant that when I was being good, I felt really confident and really virtuous. But then when I would go home and I would like overeat because I was absolutely starving hungry, I'd feel full of shame and full of self-hate. And it was just this, this kind of horrible cycle. Do you feel like you felt the shame and hate when you would binge because you lost control? Yeah. Sounds like a control was a major driving force in this unhealthy eating pattern for you, right? So you were trying to control what you ate or when you ate it. You didn't want other people telling you when that was going to be or how that was going to be. And so whenever you could control it, you did. But then when you would get home and binge, it sounds like in your mind, maybe subconsciously, you felt like, okay, I've lost control now. Now I'm eating whatever I want. And that goes against everything I've been trying to do all day. Is that, am I accurate in saying that? That's absolutely what it was. It was losing control. And it was, you know, it was, it was impossible not to, because like I said, I pretty much starved myself all day. 
And then, you know, I'd get home and my mum would be like, have some food. And I'm like, great, I'll have all the food. (laughs) (laughs) Now, why do you think, because that's such a young age, and I know a lot of girls go through this um, in their, you know, early teen years. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, heck, even in their, you know, a a lot of women go through it even as adults. But why do you think at such a young age, you have this propensity towards that? Was there, you know, something else going on emotionally, psychologically, or was it, as you alluded to, just the cultural messaging that was being thrown your way? I mean, I know it's a, it's not a simple answer, but, you know, I think for a lot of kids, they do get a lot of input of what they're supposed to be like from society and culture, but not everyone turns to food and controlling food. So was there something else in addition to that for you? Or I'm trying to just kind of get behind the what prompted this. Yeah, I suppose it was, I went to an all girls school and girls, young girls, especially, they can be so cruel. And I think it's one of those things as a kid, you know, you, people always find something to, to pick, pick on others for, you know, and at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because they'll always find something. So if you're skinny, then it might be the color of your hair or the fact you wear glasses or, you know, there's always something. But I think it was just a remark that someone made when we were, we were swimming and, you know, someone said something about me being fat or, you know, something like that. And to be honest, it may not have even been a thing at the time. I don't think I was particularly overweight, but it stuck with me. And I think that I kind of believe that the way I would gain acceptance and the way I would kind of stop being the one that got attacked was, as I said, if I could control that and if that wasn't an issue anymore, if I took that away, then they wouldn't have anything to be mean to me about, not realizing that they would almost certainly find something else. So what finally made you realize at some point that you needed to change this unhealthy pattern? So, I mean, for most of my adult life, I was on and off diets because obviously it was easier for me to to do that when I was, was older, but it was also easier for me to cheat on my diets. Right. But I carried on for years and years. And I was 29 when I got an inner ear infection called labyrinthitis. And normally it's not a significant thing. They can treat it quite easily. But I had a particularly bad case. And what this does is it gives you like a permanent vertigo. Wow. I was kind of constantly dizzy and, and really struggling with that. And that went on for a good few months. So I'd taken some time off work because it was it was very difficult to do anything. But I, I was quite stubborn and I was like this is ridiculous and I, you know I need to go back to work so I did and I was at work and I was standing at the top of a flight of concrete stairs and I had one of these episodes and I just fell and I went down the, these stairs and quite honestly it was a mercy I didn't break my neck but I was absolutely black and blue it was smashed up everywhere and basically it was a case of I was in so much pain because I, I'd literally been beaten up falling down these stairs. I couldn't pinpoint what the problem was, but I'd actually partially dislocated my right hip. Wow. But because, you know, the doctors are saying to me, well, where's the pain? I'm kind of like, it's everywhere. <laughs> like, I can't tell you. It's just everywhere. So it took me a few months to heal. But by the time that I was kind of getting back into things, I was really struggling to walk because of my hip. And the longer it went on, the worse it got because I kind of tried to overcompensate using the other side of my body. And then the ligaments and the tendons and the muscles got messed up on that side. And it got to a point where I could barely walk. And the doctors, um, unfortunately, weren't very good at, at, at spotting what was going on. And kind of about a year and a half later, when I was still not walking properly, they were like, we don't really know what to do and you, you might never walk again. And so obviously all this time where I, I'd 
been like this and wasn't able to walk, I'd kind of lost my main port of call when it came to controlling my weight, which was this over-exercise that I used to do. And I was massively depressed because I'd been trying to just restrict what I was eating. And obviously that only works for so long before you binge. And so I was putting on weight. I was feeling really depressed because I'd been told that I possibly would never walk. And yeah, life was, life was not good. When I finally managed to get my, my head uh, ever so slightly out of the water, I realized that the only way that I could, you know, do anything about my weight was going to be changing the way I ate because I no longer could, could exercise properly. So I, I had to make a change to the way I was eating. And it kind of, it really hit me that you, you know, you've got two options here. You either carry on as you are or you do something about it. And I decided I needed to do something about it. So once you decided that, you know, now I can't control this, I can't control that, but now I can control what I'm eating, right? I can't control my exercise. I can't control my walking. But now the one thing I can control in regards to my weight is what I am putting in my body. So that's kind of fascinating to me because I think the bottom line is that all of us have, you know, it's kind of like the Wizard of Oz with Dorothy. We've all had that power all along. <laughs> we can all <laughs> control what we're eating. And there are some people who control it on a different level. So when I say what we're eating, I'm not talking about quantities. I'm talking about quality of food. And I think that you're going to be, I know that you're going to be telling us about that because I follow you on social media. And um, what you are basically pointing to in your interaction on there is that this is the reality about food, people. This is, you know, we've been sold a bag of goods with all the different diets and fad kind of weight loss systems. So tell me what was the first shift that you made in the kinds of foods that you were eating? So I think what was fascinating was that when I first you know, started and decided exactly that. I was like, I need to change what I'm eating because I was eating a lot of things that really weren't good for me. And I was convinced again from years of dieting that if I kind of cut out enough things or if I changed what I ate, that would be enough. And I kind of studied nutrition. I studied weight loss. And what was fascinating was to me anyway, was that actually it's, it's about more than that. And what I looked at I started off looking at what I was eating, but then I realized it was more about who I was being when I was eating. And what I mean by that was when I ate, I was distracted. I was stressed. I was not really paying attention to what I was doing. And as you mentioned earlier, it's kind of like, you know, when you dive into that bag of chips and you're kind of eating them because they're delicious, but you're not actually paying that much attention. You're not really that hungry. You just keep eating and eating. And yeah, it was really interesting because the more I looked at how I ate, the more I discovered actually it was kind of, it went deeper and it went deeper. And that started me to look into why I was eating. And that was when the transformation really started. And that was when I kind of was like, ah, this is, this is it. This is the thing. Because I had spent so much of my life basically medicating with food. And for me, it was food for other people. You know, it can be things like alcohol. It can even be things like um, being in bad relationships or shopping or, you know, the things we do to kind of numb the pain in our lives. But when I realized that and that I'd been kind of slapping a Band-Aid on an open wound for years, 
that was when I really started making the shifts and really making that transformation. Kezia, when we come back, I want to get into more of what that shift looked like for you and so that our listeners can be inspired to make a change. Hey friends, I wanted to give a shout out to Emily R. from Washington State, who is a Josiologist that I met while attending an event in Chicago. It was so fun to meet a listener who I didn't already know. So thanks, Emily R., for listening to the show. Hey, I'd love to get to know more listeners, so I'd like to invite you all to come hang out with me on the Josiology Podcast private Facebook group. I'll be doing more live streaming on there so we can interact, and I'd love to have your input on the podcast so I can plan future shows that will provide value to you, my loyal listeners. This episode's password to get into the Josiology Podcast private Facebook group is Mindset. I hope to see you there. So Kezia, you had mentioned that you, when you started understanding why you were eating, that that's when the shifts came in your lifestyle and the way you handle food in your life. So tell us a little bit more about that. For me, certainly, like I said, it, food was a coping mechanism. So it had been a crutch for me for most of my life. And it was a supremely convenient way of me avoiding dealing with things I didn't want to deal with. <laughs> so if I was stressed, I'd just eat and then I'd briefly feel better. If I was kind of running low on energy because I'd been working too hard and maybe I hadn't had enough sleep, that was fine because I could just eat some sugar and that would give me a boost. But as I'm sure you know, that the problem with this is that it's such a short-term fix because you briefly feel better. But then the only way to kind of continue that high is to eat more food. And that's when the problems come in with your overeating and your weight gain. But I think just even having that appreciation and just noticing that for the first time, because I'd never, I always assumed the problem was the food. I always assumed that, you know, it was kind of like, oh, well, you're just so greedy and you just, you know, you just can't stop eating. And it's, you know, it's kind of disgusting the amount of food that you eat. And I, you know, I wish I could stop, but obviously I can't. And it kind of, it really empowered me because I was like, okay, so it's not about the food at all. You know, it's about something completely different. And like I said, when you, you actually look at the real problem and you're like, okay, so if I tackle the real issue, if I tackle the stress, if I tackle the fact that, you know, I'm not sleeping as well as I should and that I'm working too hard, for example, then the need for me to be overeating kind of goes away. And then you don't have the same kind of, you know, the same cravings, the same desire, the same drive and hunger that you had before. So it suddenly becomes a non-issue, which is kind of obvious when you take that step back and look at it. But when you're in the midst of it, you just you just don't see any of that. And that's true. I think, you know, when I see uh, your posts on social media, uh, you give a lot of great tips and um, food for thought, pun intended. <laughs> um, it, it does strike me as like, well, yeah, this is obvious. This makes sense. It's just that I think we kind of trick ourselves into thinking or believing that it's that's too simple. It can't be that easy, right? And so it has to, in our mind, it has to be complicated for some reason. For example, I know that you and I have had a brief exchange on the whole calories in, calories out mantra. While there is some truth to that, people take that as an absolute and they're like a diehard over that mantra. and. My take on it is this, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. 
yes, if you're taking in way more calories than you are expending, then you will gain weight. But if you're, the inverse is not necessarily true. If you're reducing the amount of calories that you're bringing in, you're not just going to lose weight because your body eventually goes, you know, gets a signal that, hey, this person is not taking in as much food. We need more food. So it'll go into starvation mode and just kind of lock everything down. And that will essentially keep you from losing weight. Am I wrong? That's exactly right. And I think that's the thing that people don't realize. And it's, you know, again, it's what the diet industry sells people. So it's, it's, you know, it's not surprising. I believed it for a long time. But yeah, we, we drastically reduce the, the calories that we're taking in. And then exactly that, your body kind of panics and goes, okay, well, I'm going to preserve you because that's, that's what I'm designed to do. So exactly that, it holds on to the weight. It holds on to the fat stores because that's what's going to keep you alive. Um, and your body's panicking and like, well, I don't understand why you're not eating. There's all this delicious food here. Like, just eat the food. What are you, what are you thinking, you crazy person? Right. And that's the other thing, of course, our bodies fight us because the whole time it's going, you know, eat the food. Why, why would you not eat the food? You're surrounded by food. Why are you denying yourself food when you clearly need to eat it? Which makes the situation even worse. And that's, that's why people end up failing on diets and not succeeding because they do this thing where they're counting their calories and they're reducing so dramatically. Their bodies basically rebel. And, you know, how long can you fight with, you, with your brain when it's screaming at you, you need to eat? And then when you finally do, it tends to be a case of going crazy, overdoing it, you know, eating all the things. And then you start the cycle all over again, which is why it's so damaging. Right. Because your brain cares about your livelihood. It, it wants you to stay alive. Brain doesn't care whether you look good in a tank top. Like your brain is there for survival. So yeah, the messaging is confusing, especially if you have an unhealthy relationship with food. So let's talk to our listeners now because a uh, majority of my listeners are women and I know that they're very busy people. Um, so let's give them maybe like a few tips or even whether it's actual practical tips or a mindset tip that something that they can do starting today and that will kind of restore a healthy relationship with food for them or will help them on their I hate to say weight loss journey because I think it's really just about becoming healthy. What tips can we give them so they can start on this health journey today? So I've got a few, a few tips which are pretty quick to action. The first thing I would say is whatever you choose to do. So if you pick one tip, whatever you choose to do today, be consistent with it because consistency is the key. You can't expect results if you're not consistent. And I think that's that's the one thing that is is true of kind of anything that you're going to try. You've you've got to stick with it. Yeah, I was going to say that's a universal truth, honestly. Yeah. I mean, consistency in anything. If you want to train for a marathon, you got to be consistent in that. If you want to have a successful business, you got to be consistent in showing up for that. So, that's just a general universal truth, people, that we need to grab onto and apply it to all areas of our life. Absolutely. Um, so I suppose the, the key thing I'd say is, especially if you're a busy person, actually plan your food the day before. And I know that sometimes this meets with a lot of resistance with people. But honestly, because we have kind of two parts of our brain, if you like, you have the logical part of your brain that kind of makes decisions and plans. 
and you have the reactive part of your brain. And that's the part of your brain that sabotages you all the time. And it's just trying to protect you. It's doing it from a place of love, but it can really um, put a spanner in the works when you're trying to to go on, on, on a journey to kind of eat more healthily or do anything really that's that's different that is is going to affect it. So just by making your food choices a day before and then sticking with it, you've made those logical decisions. So you've decided, okay, these are going to be things that are good for me to eat today um, and are going to make me feel good and, you know, all the rest of it. And then the following day, you don't have to think about it. So you don't have to have that kind of argument with your reactive brain where you're like, oh, no, I haven't got, you know, I haven't got time or oh, I don't know what to do for dinner. So I'll just order a takeout or you've already planned it. And it sounds like such a simple thing. But honestly, I've seen it with with my clients. It can make such a huge difference. So that's one thing I definitely suggest. The second thing I would suggest is that you focus all of your energy when you're thinking about food, especially if you've, you've had a difficult relationship with food. Focus all your energy on what you can have, not things that you think you can't have. Because I think, again, we tend to put a lot of energy into, oh, well, I can't have that chocolate bar or I can't have those cookies or whatever it is. And when you do that, that's what you focus on. That is what you will spend your entire day thinking about, what you've, you, what you've told yourself you can't have. Again, it's so destructive and it's so difficult to kind of you know, move away from that once you've set that focus. So instead of thinking, well, you know, I know I shouldn't be eating this and I shouldn't be eating this, be like, okay, well, these are all the things that I get to eat. And this is awesome. I know I can be a witness to that because I know when I tell myself like, okay, I'm going to reduce my sugar. I'm not going to eat sugar today. That is literally all I think about is eating sugar. I can't focus or think about anything else. But when, on the days when I say, okay, today I'm going to, you know, prepare myself these carrots or these celery sticks or whatever, whatever my choice is for the day. And like you said, I prepared ahead of time so that tomorrow when I go in the fridge, it's already cut, cleaned, washed, ready to go. If I focus on this is what I'm going to have tomorrow, then it's a much mentally easier day for me than if I say to myself, tomorrow I'm not eating sugar because then I will literally just want sugar all day. So I think that again is a mindset thing. The practical thing is to plan ahead and know what you're going to go to when you have that moment of, I don't have time to plan or make something and I got to eat something right now. You know, even if it's a handful of nuts or, or whatever, but if you have that planned, that's a practical thing. But your mindset is almost more important for a lot of us because that is what will trip you up. Definitely. And that's the thing. It's that self-sabotage because it's, it's always going to happen when you start doing something differently, when you're starting to try and change your habits. Because, again, our brains like to try and keep us safe and they love familiarity and they love being able to do things on autopilot. And even when you're making small changes, um, it can freak your brain out. And it's like, well, it would be just easier to just do it the old way. It would just be easier if we, you know, if we do what we've always done. That feels safe. That feels happy. And you have to be willing to just go through a tiny bit of feeling uncomfortable when you're changing habits. But that is what will make all the difference. Definitely, you, you, your mindset around this is, is going to be either sets you up to, to succeed or unfortunately to fail. Right. Another thing that 
I say it's easy to do. It's easy to do with practice, but it doesn't kind of require any pre-planning or anything. And that is to pay attention to your food more when you're eating it. And again, I know that sometimes I meet with, with resistance with this, but how often are we eating while we're doing something else? So eating while we're driving or eating uh, while we're watching TV or any kind of distraction while we're eating. And what happens when we do that is that we're not paying attention to what we're putting in our mouths. And honestly, about 80% of the, the experience when you eat has to kind of come through being there and, you know, enjoying the food. And if you're kind of literally just eating it, not paying attention and shoveling it down, your brain kind of doesn't register that you've even really eaten anything. And that's why sometimes you can eat like a snack or something. It's gone in a second and then you're like, oh, um, well, I'm still hungry. <laughs> like, I better just have another one. Yeah, um, we've all been there. When you're actually a pay, sort of paying attention to what you're eating, and what I mean by that is really focusing on what you're doing. So kind of really paying attention to how your food looks, how your food tastes, the textures of the food when you're, you're eating it. And really taking your time to kind of chew it and enjoy it, as opposed to just seeing it as it's lunchtime, I've got to eat this as quickly as possible because I have an email to write. But when you start actually eating um, and you're not being distracted and you're being kind of mindful about what you're doing, not only will you be like way happier and way, feel way more satisfied when you eat your food, but actually you'll notice that as a result of that, you need to eat less. Because again, so much of that overeating comes from us not really paying attention to what we're doing. And, you know, when you're in the experience of eating, it's, it's so different. I mean, if, if you even think about when you go out to a restaurant and eat and you're kind of relaxed and you're, you know, you're in good company and you're just sort of talking to the people around you and you play that against the experience maybe of eating at your desk at lunchtime, it's just totally different. I remember years ago, there was a study about why French women were skinnier or something. And what they found was that very concept that the French, when they eat, they really enjoy their eating process. So they take their time and they chew their food slowly. They're really kind of, you know, involved with the all the sensory aspects of eating. And because of that, that's what they attributed the fact that generally French women are thinner than other women around the world. So that makes sense. I mean, if you're really appreciating and enjoying the food and having it be kind of an all-encompassing experience, you are more focused and you're aware of what you're eating. And arguably, you're eating slower so that your body, your brain has, and your stomach has a chance to tell your brain like, okay, we've had enough food. Whereas if you're just gorging yourself as fast as you can because you think someone's going to take the plate away from you, then your body doesn't get a chance to catch up and say, okay, no, stop. We, we've had enough to eat. So true. And I find, again, with my clients, this works so well because it will be things like, you know, they, um, they go to Starbucks and they order a coffee and they're used to ordering like the, the biggest one available. And what they find is that actually when they start paying attention to what they're doing, they're like, you know what, I have like maybe three or four sips. And actually I'm kind of, I feel, I feel good. I feel satisfied. And they're used to drinking this massive, you know, thing of coffee and syrup and 
and they realize start to realize they don't need it anymore because they can get the experience they wanted you know the enjoyment they wanted from eating much less and that that goes for kind of you know desserts or cookies or whatever if you genuinely sit there and take the time to enjoy it you really will notice the difference and notice that you do need to eat less to kind of get the same effect so i think what it boils down to honestly is mostly mindset mindset and being realistic about what can be accomplished because you know you didn't get overweight overnight um, and it's going to take a while to kind of undo what you're trying to do but especially if you're going to try to go about it in a healthy way you have to really reset your mind to focus on those healthy things I know you have a website and as I mentioned I follow you on social media so tell me about your coaching sessions how does that work for people as you said, this is this is more about mindset than than anything else, because I think what most people struggle with is not knowledge. Because if I said to you, OK, how do you lose weight? You could probably tell me, you know, 50 things that you're not doing that you could be doing to, to help you lose weight. What people struggle with is the habit change. So it's OK. So I'm, I'm here. This is what I'm struggling with. How do I get to a place where this becomes like a, a normal behavior for me. So how do I get away from, you know, how do I get to this being a new normal? And that's what I support women with. And it's as much as anything, it's kind of about the the accountability and having someone there in your back pocket when you're feeling stuck, when you're feeling like, I don't know what to do, or I know what I want to do, but I know it's not going to support me. And it's really creating that space so that you've got that support but also being able to help you get out of your own head and kind of really just get to that point yourself where you you can appreciate okay this isn't serving me anymore and this is this is what I want to be doing and I can do it and I can make the decisions and I can choose to do it it's just like I said our brains have been programmed for so long to do things a certain way it takes time and it takes effort and some days it feels really tough. Right. <laughs> and it's, it makes such a difference when you have someone there who can guide you, who can give you tools, who can give you tips. And like I said, who is literally there in your back pocket when you need them and can help you get unstuck um, and keep you moving forward because it's all about taking those small steps. And I think that's the thing. I think sometimes we try and change everything all at once and that never works. And what we need to be doing is being consistent with the small changes that we're making, because even within a week, if you're making one small change, but you're doing it consistently every day, you are going to start seeing results. And that's what it's all about. It's about keeping that rolling so that you never have to start over again. You never have to worry about falling off the wagon because you're just jumped straight back on. And that's really what it's all about. Now, your website is keziathomas.com which is spelled K-E-Z-I-A-Thomas.com. I'll have that on the show notes as well as your social media handles so people can start following you. Uh, you really do have great tips on there, so I appreciate you doing that. I follow you predominantly on Instagram. I'm always curious to see what your, your tip is going to be for the day, so thank you for those. And um, I'll have that in the show notes as well. I believe you have a free weight loss support session available on your website, right? Um, it's a 30 minute free mini session for anyone who wants to dive deeper into their relationship with food and really get clear on um, exactly what they're struggling with, understand what's working for them and what's not working for them. And 
get those exact next steps that they need to take um, so that they can stop overeating for good. Awesome. So yeah, listeners, if you are interested in chatting with her a little bit more about your journey, I would encourage you to go to her website, keziathomas.com, and inquiring about that free session. I'll have it in the show notes. If you're not familiar with what show notes are, show notes uh, are two places. One, they're where you're listening to this podcast right now. Somewhere when you click around, there will be notes and you can scroll down and click on the link to her website. Also, you can go to my website, which is joseology.com, and there will be a specific blog post for this episode where I will list all her links and um, other resources that she has available for you. So, Kezia, thank you so much for coming onto the show today to share your expertise with us and to share your story with us. Um, And thank you for using your journey to empower women to take control of this aspect of their life because it's ironic. Sometimes we try to control something so much that we end up losing control over it. So it is a really complicated journey. And for a lot of us, we do need a coach, a cheerleader, someone to just kind of guide us on the path where we want to go. It's not even your path. You know, it's not Kezia's path. It is your um, client's path, where they want to go. And they just need a little clarity, a little guidance and healthy ways to think about things and things to consider. So I appreciate you having that available and that that is something that you are spending your life doing as a result of your journey. So thank you so much for doing that. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Josiology. Be sure to visit Josiology.com to access the show notes and discover fantastic bonus content. To join the conversation, find us on Facebook or Instagram with username at Josiology Podcast. Thanks for tuning in.